Hi everyone, Lisa Tumbody here and with my business partner in crime, Neil Wagstaff, and today we're going to be doing a coaching call. So for all my podcast listeners, welcome to the show. And for those of you listening via Facebook, great to have you along with us. Now today we're going to cover, uh, cover off a couple of things that have been, we've been asked some questions around cadence, um, about um, the longest run in a 100k plan and some things like that. So Neil, where do you want to start with this uh, little talk about cadence? Let's start with cadence. Okay. So we got there, yeah, one of the questions we had, a great question from one of our, our, our members in our closed group and he was asking us uh, around where his cadence should be at. He's had a little bit of run analysis done um, recently um, and was told he was he was looking good running at around 172 steps a minute. So for those of you who aren't aware, cadence is, is, we throw that term around quite openly. What cadence is, is the number of times your feet are actually making contact with the ground each minute. So quite simply, if you want to, you can, next run you go out for, you can count your left leg steps. So every time your left leg hits the floor, you can count how many times it hits the floor and then times it by two to get your total count for the minute. Those of you who've got watches, your watch will um, pick up the cables for you and a lot of phone apps um, will do it now as well. So you, yep. can, you can look at picking it up. But it's the number of times your feet are touching the floor each minute. So the question about was the, one of our members is looking at um, increasing that cadence up um, and keeping it up. He, he was started around 160. Um, it's got it up to the 172 mark, but finds that he drops off and it drops back to 168 if he's not focusing on it. So getting a little bit frustrated and wanting to, wanting to keep it up there. First thing I want to say to all of you and any of you that are working on cadence is if you've made progress like that where you've gone from 160 to 180, then good job, okay? Good job. That's, um, that's no easy thing to do. So don't underestimate what you've done, what you've done already. So give yourself a pat on the back for that. The second thing is with your running, you'll hear the magic number thrown around a lot, that 180 is the magic number. We've heard that loads, haven't we, Lisa? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you fall into that, um, you can fall into that trap that I have to get to 180. I've got to get to 180. Please, please don't fall into that trap, okay? You don't need to, what you need to do is, is look at where you're at now today and where you want to move to. And if that, that growth is as small as 5%, 10%, you get a little, a, little, a, little, um, a little shift forward. It might be you go from 160 to 168, 165 to 172. If you're getting some growth and your body's feeling good, you're feeling more efficient, you're running more freely and comfortably, and if it ain't broke, don't think you've got to fix it. Okay. Yeah, and, and this is where the perfectionism comes in. I have to get to 180 because that's the magic number, and that's really not conducive to being a, the freedom of running as well. So yes, you know that is the perfect, the perfect ideal world. But 172 is pretty damn good, and is a hell of a lot better than 160. Now the reason why cadence is so important is, is if you have a low cadence, it's uh, the, the amount of time that you're actually on the ground as opposed to in the air is higher. So you're putting more, you're pushing more of your energy into the ground. So you want to spend as little amount of time actually touching the ground as possible. And you want to spend as much time as possible actually falling forward, which is what running is, basically. Is that correct, Neil? Is that a good way of explaining yeah, it? Running, what? very simply, very simply speaking, is the, your ability to fall. The more comfortable yeah. you are falling forward, um, which a lot of us aren't, but the more comfortable you are falling forwards, the, the more efficiently you're going to do it and the better you're going to be able to use gravity as your, as your friend and the more effective your running, your running will become. Yeah, so that's why the, the, the cadence and the amount of steps, like the least amount of time on the ground basically is what you're after. So you're like, like a pinging little um, 
gentle, what would you say? Like a light fairy that's just going over the ground as opposed to a big elephant that's going boof, 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 you know? <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, that's good, good, good comparison. The, the other thing to remember as well is that running is a skill, okay? Running is a skill, and, and if you're trying to apply that skill to a long run, so let's say you give yourself a goal of increasing your cadence and you go out and run 10, 12K, the chance of you being able to hold it, that improvement or focus on that skill for 10 or 12K is going to be difficult. So what you want to do is, is put yourself in a position where you can focus on the skill only. So the best way to do that is to give you set yourself up, for example, with an interval session. It may be that you take yourself through a warm-up and then take yourself through an interval session, which may be um, two to three reps or three or four reps of three minutes of running at maybe 75 to 80% of your max effort. Now, in those three minutes of running, you're going to focus purely on your cadence. You're going to focus on good uh, running form, good, um, good foot positioning, and focus on your cadence. You take a break for the equivalent amount of time, around three minutes. You come back to round two, and again, those three minutes, that is the skill you are focusing on. I'm going to increase my cadence and take it up. If you're doing, say, I'd encourage you to do two sessions like that a week, and then when you go out to do your long run at the weekend, you'll then be able to apply that skill to the long run. But what we want you to do as you go out on the long run is you'll think about it as part of the warm-up. You'll go through a series of drills, which we'll talk you through in a minute to encourage and reinforce the cadence, and then go run. Yep. And enjoy the run, relax into the run, and if you've got the skill bit of the training right, it will transfer into the actual running itself. For a I mean, the longer you run, and if you're doing a 100 miler, you're not going to be having 180 cadence at the end of it, unless you're maybe Killian Jornet or someone, okay? So the longer it is, the less uh, you'll be able to hold that. It's the same with your form, it's the same with your strength and everything else. So, um, so don't just imagine immediately that you're going to be able to run 10Ks at that right cadence. I want to give you an example here is working with mum who's had brain damage, right, from uh, aneurysm. And I work with her constantly on form and technique because her whole, you know, right side of the body, et cetera, has major problems. And she can only focus for about 25 steps. I can get her to walk correctly for 25 steps. And then her brain fatigue sets in and she cannot keep that up. So I have to stop. We have to take some deep breaths. And then we go again and again and again. So that's neural fatigue. And this is a more extreme case, obviously, with brain damage. But it's the same process that we go through. Teaching the, the, the brain to actually send the right messages is a very concentrated effort. It's all on very much on a conscious level. And so your brain fatigues much, much quicker than when it becomes on that subconscious level. So you're really in this learning phase of, of increasing your cadence and running correctly and running drills. And this is why we do drills. They're called drills for a reason because we're drilling it into our brain. We're re repeating the same forms and the same uh, things that we want to reinforce. And it's the same with the cadence. Would you agree with that, Neil? Yeah, so the drills the drills are a key part of the puzzle. So three drills, um, for those of you who are listening in our closed group, um, three drills we're going to draw your attention to in our video library would be, one is the ball of foot hops. So that's going to get you, encourage you to land midfoot with your feet under your centre of mass, with your heel kissing the floor. Okay, so the ball of foot hops, we encourage you to go and search those and in the closed group, we'll put those videos up for you. Um, the karaoke, the karaoke is very good at getting you to lean and feel what happens with your cadence and your feet as you lean more. So as you lean more, it'll actually pick up the pace of your feet as you're crisscrossing them over. 
Then the third one is the forward lunge, where you're actually practicing getting the foot off the floor quickly and pulling with your hamstring. So these three drills, we want to encourage you to add those in after your warm-up and before you run. So your warm-up first, do your drills. After each drill, you'll run for around 50 to 100 meters and get the skill working and then go into your interval session and all your run. Even do these before a long run, a long run as well. Okay, so those three are three of our go-tos and our, um, our favorites. So putting those in will, will help the development of the, of the skill and help re, as Lisa was talking about before, help rewire that nervous system. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so um, we've, we've gone over three drills there. Is there any other ones? Do you want to add? Because I mean, there's a heap of drills, but is that there's a heap of drills. Or? I think for um, ease to start with, those people are interested in more drills, we can share more with them. I think yeah. those three are good ones for working on. We've had great results with those we're working with in a live environment with those three. Mm -hmm. um, they really work well from a cadence, cadence point of view. Um, and those videos, Lisa, if you want to share them through the obviously through the podcast as well, we can get put the links up to up to those because they are. They have got some got some very very good results. The other thing, just to add in as well, is with the with the cadence side of things, is just looking at where you're landing. There's a lot of huge debate. Lisa and I had a great discussion yesterday about foot strike, um, where you should be landing, where you're landing. What we will often encourage is landing midfoot with your heel kissing the floor. Okay, so landing midfoot, heel kisses the floor. Now, if someone's heel striking and they're, but they're still, and you can heel strike and still land quite nicely and fall forward quite nicely. If you're doing that and not getting any pain, not getting any discomfort, we're, not, we're gonna take the view that if it ain't broke, don't try and, try and fix it, yeah, yeah. okay? However, if you are overstriding and heel striking and your foot's coming right the way out in front of your center of mass, you're gonna be slamming on the brakes and sending a significant amount of force, in some cases, three, four times your body weight back through your ankle, your knee, your hip all the way up your spine to your shoulders. That's what we want to discourage. That won't help you increase your cadence and it will help you um, increase your injury rate. Yeah. So thinking shorter strides, thinking quicker feet, faster feet, think like a ninja, you want to be able to creep up on people quietly without them hearing you come. So your, mm -hmm. foot, your foot should be light. Yeah. You should be able to tiptoe around without anyone, uh, anyone hearing you coming. But how you're landing, just think about initially shortening the stride. Okay, shortening the stride will, will help. If, as I say, if there's a heel strike there and it's it's not causing any pain or damage and you're you're falling forward nicely, then um, we're not going to start nitpicking at it at, at, at this stage. Does yeah, that make sense, Liz? Yeah, it does make sense because I mean, there's, there's this long-standing debate whether you should be, you know, we, we all have to land on the middle of the ball of our foot or if we're hitting with a heel, and you know, you can get some top runners who still actually touch with their heel, you know. Um, or at the beginning of a marathon, do it one way, and at the end of a marathon, do it another way. Um, so it, it's not an absolute hard and fast rule, but what we, we are talking about is if you really like your foot's right out in front and you're smashing into the corner of the heel, then that's not good. Um, another point that I wanted to bring up too was the fact that, um, so uh, Damien, who he brought this question up, uh, has got a marathon coming up, and he's trying to concentrate on cadence and drills and all these sort of things, when, which is great, and don't get me wrong, but the time of the year when you're actually in the off season is the, uh, when you can actually drop the mileage and actually focus solely on form. That's when you're going to get the bigger changes than when you're in the build-up to an actual race. Um, because once again, when you um, are doing focused technique work and focused, you know, trying to retrain your body, you can't be doing high mileage because 
you, 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 your brain will fatigue basically and you won't be able to get that. So the best time of the year, if you really want to focus on it, would be after the marathon, when you're in that recovery phase, maybe you've got no other races for three or four months and you can actually drop the mileage in that time and really concentrate on technique and form and really nail that down with it when you're in a lower mileage time of the year, if, if that makes sense. Perfect. Spot, spot on. So to recap these, it's just uh, people make sure they've got the right takeaways, is making sure that when you see little improvements, celebrate it, because little improvements can give you big gains. So don't overthink it. Don't be so much of a perfectionist that you want to get to the next level. Really assess where you're at. If you've made some gains in your cadence and you're feeling like you're more efficient and running better, you might have found your sweet spot. So don't miss it. You may well have found your sweet spot. Remember, running is a skill, so it's going to need to be practiced in short smaller blocks and treat it like a skill and then apply that skill to your sport so you're applying the skill you've learned to the to the running add the drills in um, and we talked about the ball of foot hops the forward lunge and um, the karaoke the other one i will add in lisa is skipping so skipping is great for increasing cadence and foot speed Absolutely. think about where you're striking as well we're encouraging um, the midfoot with the heel definitely kissing the floor but more importantly we want to make sure you're not over striding and you're not putting the brakes on. So think, think like a ninja, okay? And then as, um, as Lisa said, look at the time of year you're doing it. So don't expect to get massive increases when you've got high volume training. Look at the time of training you're doing, the time of year you're doing it. Often the off season is a good time for skill development and to work on techniques after a big race. You can still get gains when you're doing um, bigger training, but they're not gonna come as quickly, so don't put the pressure on yourself to do them. Anything else, Lisa? Yeah. Now that, that, that wraps it up really nicely. And now on to the, the second question that we had from uh, Joanne, who's doing a 100-kilometre uh, ultramarathon shortly and was looking at her plan, of course, and, and sees that the longest run that we've programmed in there is a 45-kilometre run, and she thinks that's, that's not enough. Um, so... Obviously, we, we, we draw a line in the sand and we say, we, you know, other coaches might even tell you to do more than that. Uh, we're not um, strict, traditional, old, high-mileage uh, coaches. We believe there's a better way and a more efficient way. I'll give you an example here um, why that is our maximum, like, for 100K, okay? So when, I'm, when I did lots of, you know, races over the 200, 250, 300-kilometre mark, I, didn't, I never, ever went out and did my long run, say if it was a 300K race, I didn't go and run 250Ks in my training, okay? Because that would smash me for the next six months. My body would not, it doesn't proportionately work. When you, when you look at, say, the longest marathon run in a marathon training plan, which may be between 28 and 32 kilometers, say, and you think, well, you know, if I, if I just triple that, and or double two and a half times it if you like to get to the 100k then i should be running uh what's that neil my mass isn't so good i should be running around the 70 kilometer mark then that doesn't work the longer the race is the the it does not mean that the long run and your, your your maximum run that you're ever going to do in that training has to double and triple with it okay it doesn't quite work like that why doesn't it work like that because you like obviously if I'm running a 300k race, I can't go and run out and go and run 250k's in my training because it will take my body months to recover, which is counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve. We need to stay healthy, we need to stay strong, 
and we need to develop mental toughness, and this is where an ultra marathon and that part of the equation is very, very important. Um, and you need to build in the, the psychological resilience to know that on race day, you're going to be giving it 100%. If you've gone out three or four weeks before and given it 100% in a huge, long run, you're not going to have 100% on race day. Um, and, and the sweet spot for 100 Ks is what we've found is, is around the 45 K mark. If you can do that psychologically, you're, you're in a good place. You've still done a long run. It's not so low. I mean, we could, we could actually even get you there on a shorter run than that. But we know that people psychologically need to know that they can run that at least 45, all right? So it's a trade-off between um, what's actually ideal for your body and what psychologically you also need to uh, know that you can actually handle it and hack it, okay? But on race day, you're going to pull out a performance that's way beyond what you'll ever pull out in training. And you should never be in training at 100%. You know, you should never be giving that, taking that much out of your body in your long run. Um, so you'll go into the science behind why that is a little bit more, you know, I've given the experience of, a, you know, running the 300K race and why you don't go and run 250. Do a comparison often used that hits home with a lot of people is, is you treat it like a savings plan. So what you're going to do over a period of 20 weeks or 16 weeks, 12 weeks, depending on how long the training, training program is, is you've got your big goal at the end. And then each week you're going to start saving away. So you're saving away these Ks you're doing each week, saving them away. You hit the nail on the head real nicely that if you overcook at least, then you're basically going to put yourself in continuous recovery mode. Yeah. Which means you're going to be exhausted by the time you get to the start line. You'll be too yeah. The other thing is looking at the building blocks around the 45K. So, and then understanding as well that in that, in that period, um, a couple of different ways that we put our programs together is beginners, for example, may start on a week on, followed by a week off. So low intensity, high intensity, low intensity, high intensity. And each week, the high intensity, each alternate week, the high intensity ramps up a little bit. As people progress through, then we may put them on to a two weeks of high intensity, bigger volume, bigger weeks, um, and more to it, and then a week of recovery. Those that are more advanced, we go to a three week of high intensity, followed by a week recovery, three weeks, week recovery. Okay, so the build block, blocks build up like that. So if you think of everything else you're putting into the training week, so it's not just that one long run. We're big fans and have got some great results of doing back-to-back -back runs. Yeah. And after a big run, the next day going out for anywhere from um, 45 minutes to an hour and a half, sometimes longer, and running on tired legs. So you get used to running on those tired legs, which you're going to have to do in an ultra and get, again, great results of that. But you get this, that effect by having a little bit of rest after a long run, refueling, eating, and then going out and, and, and going for it. In some extreme cases, we get people to, to do them a lot closer together and do them depleted of, um, of food, so they get really used to getting the, getting the result. There, that, that we won't do often, but it, it definitely does help. So you're building this picture up that as you progress through the program, you're going in peaks and troughs, and each time you hit a peak, you're doing a little bit more, a little bit more. The load it's putting on your body from an anaerobic point of view is developing those systems so that your body can deal with it. To your point, you're teaching your mind to deal with it. So by the time you get to the taper, you've got all, that, all those Ks in the bank, and they're good quality Ks. There's not dead Ks, Ks that we're just doing because we like collecting Ks. Good quality Ks. We then taper you down. So as you taper down in the three weeks before the event, you're now getting yourself ready to go and spend that money. So you're going to go on a shopping spree. 
All right, you've got all the Ks in the bank, you've, you've now let your body recover, recoup. When you get to the start line, you should be a little bit twitchy, you should be feeling a little bit on edge, you should be very clear on what you're gonna achieve up here, and then away you go. Whereas a lot of people we've had come, come to us, have done previous events, and have got to the start line, been fatigued, carrying niggles and injuries, and um, have, got, um, have got other issues, and, and in some cases have had to pull out because they're, they're not gonna get all the way through. Yeah. The other piece, which I'll pass back to you to talk through, Lisa, is, the, is what, by bringing back volume slightly, we want to create time for other pillars in our programming. Yeah. We want to create time for that and make sure there's time for that in the week. So, Lisa, take us, take us through those. Yeah, for sure. Like, so, um, when we say we have slightly lower mileage than some of the other coaches that you'll see, we've taken that time, though, and put it into other places that are going to give you more um, quality training. So, that's your strength routines that's your mobility workouts and and to, to my um mind another big piece of the puzzle especially for ultra marathoners is working on your mindset that is a part of your training regime that is a part that visualization process because it's the mental toughness that's going to actually get you to the finish line so don't neglect that part of the training and obviously we've got a ton of resources around mindset and motivation and getting your mind in the right place and feeling strong and feeling like super superman or superwoman on the on the start line so that's another piece of the puzzle yeah for sure um now the the so that the time that you spent um in your strength workouts that's going to bring exponentially more than you doing an extra 10k or 20k a week um Obviously, these are run-specific strength workouts, and they're done in the right order, and this is why these programs are not just thrown together. These programs that we've uh, devised have been developed over many years. They're fully periodized. They're, they're built to work together. It might look like a simple plan to you, but there's a hell of a lot of science behind it. Um, so trust in the process. Trust in the trust that we know what the hell we're doing and that we've been doing it for a long time. Um, and you will also see, uh, Joanne, there, um, to your end, lots of other athletes going, yeah, we got through on this. We thought it was a little bit low, but then we got to the start line and we actually, you know, we killed it. What you'll see again and again and again is people, especially in the ultramarathon realm, who didn't perhaps do all of the training at the beginning part of their, their training plans, and then they feel like, oh, my God, I'm... I'm, I'm running in deficit, I gotta I gotta make up for it. I gotta do twice as much in the second half of their training plan. And that's where the problems come in, that's where the overtraining. And you get it's always better to stand on the start line slightly undercooked than overcooked. And that's a really hard thing to get. I mean obviously it'd be ideal if you just just on that perfect peak. It doesn't always happen because you know life gets you know in the way and stuff and you know things happen but you should either be slightly undercooked or exactly on your peak you should never be in that overtraining sort of state if that makes sense anything to add there neil that's per perfect sense it's just looking at the looking at the big picture and the other thing which which i hear you saying often lisa is we're looking to develop longevity yeah longevity in the in, in the sport and we don't want you to be able to complete a couple of events and then have to pull back because you've got niggles you've got injuries you You've got health issues. We really, for us, it's about teaching and taking a truly holistic approach, so that we're looking at the long term, we're looking at the big picture, and that's what's gone into each of those programs is the big picture, so that it will get you to the point where you can finish the race and finish it well, enjoy it, come off with a smile, and then think about the next one. 
but the whole process is put in place so that you can be running and racing events a sensible number of times each year. But mm -hmm. if you don't want to be doing it in 10 years' time, you can be doing it with a smile on your face rather than having to have stopped after a year and a half. Yeah, and um, yeah, learn from the mistakes that I made over and over and over again because I ignored that, ain't Neil? You can yeah, laugh about that because you many, many years of arguing with me that I needed to take a break and, and I... And I thought I didn't. And um, some consequences came of that, of course. And we try to avoid that. And But we do understand also that we have some elite level athletes um, who have some big, massive goals, you know, um, and who we take then the best approach that we can. You know, like we've got Carlos, our head coach at the moment, um, doing the 12 ultra marathons in 12 months over 100 kilometers including you know 100 milers 200k races 300k races so month on month and month i mean he's done two well, 24 hour last weekend and 100k this weekend things like that now that's not healthy and that's not um you cannot do that year in year out unless you maybe dink and asses but everyone else okay but for carlos that's his that's his big career goal and we hope that we can get him there and you know he's he's learned the whole systems that we do and and so we can go hard for that one particular year and then next year he's gonna have to recover major time okay interestingly Lise, we sorry to interrupt you but we um we were chatting yesterday and we, uh, when we spoke at the start of the year a lot of the process we put in place with carlos's program is is saying understanding that a lot of his running is going to be the events yeah so a lot of in between there won't be much running no. Running for the next event, there'd be recovery. And he said to me, he says, what's my program going to look like after I finish this weekend? And I, I gave him a blank piece of paper and said, there you go, there's your program. And I said, uh, you know, you just need to, you're going to lie down for the next, because he's got, I think it's two weeks, three weeks tops before his next one. Yeah. So I said, your program for the next couple of weeks is just going to be lying down, flat on your back. If you feel like you want to go run, lie down. And then we will do some other training, so there'll be other movement in there, but it's going to be everything that, all the movement that's in there is going to be to encourage recovery. Yeah. So when he gets to the start line again, his system is as stable and as ready as it can be to go to go again. But it's a great example, Lisa. It's a great example. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's crazy. He's, he's awesome. And we love people like that. And we like people helping people get to those big, massive goals. And obviously, that's my past. That's what I did. But I don't, we don't want to hurt anyone's health. We, you know, that the the first thing is do no harm and try to come out the other end in 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 good shape as possible. You're gonna have some things to deal with, no doubt. Um, doing things that big, um, but it's being yeah as sensible as you possibly can when you're doing something very unsensible, if that makes sense. <laughs> and we love people like that because that's what that's what makes the world go forward. Pioneers, exactly. crazy people. Exactly. People I think a nice way to finish these and wrap it up is that is that. A program isn't just a spreadsheet, okay? No. A program is a guide, all right? And there's so many other things, especially with the athletes that we're working with on a daily basis. There's so many other things in people's lives that we want to teach and educate you to get to the point that you know and you will listen to your body enough to go that today isn't the day that I should be running. Today is the day I should be working on some stuff to stimulate my parasympathetic nervous system. Likewise, if you feel like you've got your energy levels right, you know that today is a day I'm going to go out and push this hill session as hard as I possibly can. But the the program is there to tweak and change. Really, is is uh, you know there to, to get the max benefits. We have some great conversations, which is probably another another subject for another podcast altogether. But with some of our athletes about planning their training around their monthly cycle, yep. and looking at the example there of the 45k in the long run. 
is that what point in the month is that best done? And if we want to get best bang for our buck, should we be doing that where it is on the program or do we look at rescheduling the program to work in with that? So lots of things to consider, but trust in the program, be comfortable to question it, tweak it because it is a guide and there's a lot of other things there that will, um, will help you get your results. And life doesn't run to formulas, you know, and if we... Be nice if it did. Yeah, if we could all predictably say the kid's not going to be screaming at two o'clock in the morning and you're not going to lose some sleep or you're not going to be slightly dehydrated because you forgot to drink enough yesterday or all of those things that make up life, the chaos of life, you can't control everything. So you have to control what you can control and then you have to assess, well, how am I actually doing today? And to that end, we've got a great checklist that we can um, also put in the, in the show notes where you can link, um, look every day are you ready for that training session? Can you actually push a little bit harder or actually you had a really crappy day yesterday and you're feeling really stressed and whatever and it's time to back off a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap it up, Neil. We've obviously got lots more podcasts to do around these topics, but we hope that it was really beneficial for you guys today. And if you've got any questions about running, about mindset, about health and fitness, please reach out to us. Lisa at runninghotcoaching.com or Neil at runninghotcoaching.com. We're here to answer your questions, to help you. Um, you know, even if we're your, only your virtual coaches and this is all you ever hear from us, you know, we hope that you're learning stuff that will really be valuable to you. Um, and, of course, we'd love you to come and join our Running Hot Coaching family. Of course, uh, that would be fantastic too. But reach out to us with your questions um, and let us know how you're going. See you guys. Cheers, bye. To let you know about my Path of the Athlete Mindset Academy. This is an online e-course that you can do all around mental toughness, emotional resilience, developing leadership skills, and a never quit mentality. To find out more, go to lisatamati.co.nz and click under the Mindset button, and I'll see you there.